So let me tell you a little story. We're, we're continuing our series in This Is Us. If you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we have, uh, we've been doing this series called This Is Us. It's ripped from kind of the headlines of the popular TV show, This Is Us. And I told you I've not seen the show yet, but in the past couple of weeks, Taryn and I started watching it, and it's a super good show. And so if you need a new you know, uh, show to jump onto, it's a, it's a real good one. It's, it, m- so much of the show is about relational dynamics within uh, friendships and siblings and marriage and parenthood, and it's just, it's just kind of this smorgasbord of relation, relational kind of dynamics that we all face, and I think that's what makes a show compelling is when you can connect to it, and um, let me just tell you a little story as we, we dive in this morning. I don't know, it's been a while ago, I was on a flight from Sydney, Australia to Los Angeles, and it's a super long flight when you're coming back, because from what I remember, I think it's against the jet stream, and so you can't travel at as high a speed, so it was like a 16 and a half or 17 hour flight, and so I thought I was going to be super smart about it, and so I stayed up the night before all of it, except for one hour, and I decided I was, you know, uh, I was just cashed out. We were playing some cards, and I finally fell asleep for an hour before we left. And so in my thought of being wise, I was not so much um, because I I couldn't sleep on the whole flight. I couldn't sleep. So I had been up 36, 40 hours and just kind of at the very end, like the last hour, it was the most brutal turbulence I've ever been in in my life. I mean, I felt like the show Lost was about to start. Like it was like one of those things. Um, it, it just felt really intense, and and I don't get seasick at all. Um, I love roller coasters. I love being on the ocean. I've never gotten sick on a plane, but I was at verge on it because I was like 36 to 48 hours. I hadn't slept. Uh, the cabin, like everybody's anxious and everybody's overwhelmed and exhausted, and so you ever get like that in a car on a car trip? Like, and you know how that is on a plane, on a really, it's like that ramped up with four hundreds of people on this international flight that are just like sick and over it, just over it. And so uh, I don't get uh, sick, but people around me were, were getting really kind of sick. There's a lady who had about a 10-year-old child with her, her, the lady passed out. And so that created a lot of like intensity in the cabin and the, the flight attendants are coming to her aid and they're like, hitting her with oxygen, and they're on the phone to, like, ground control or whoever they call in a situation like this, and I'm like, what is happening? Like, everybody's just like, what's happening? The scared little girl's there, and after they, they kind of got her situated, I started thinking, and turbulence has still, it went on for about 15 minutes of pretty heavy, heavy turbulence, and I started thinking about my buddy I'm traveling with, which I have a strong stomach. I'd been on a boat with him earlier in the year and seen him puke his lunch up, and so I knew that he didn't have the same kind of whatever uh, stomach. And so I started thinking about Zach, and I'm like, I bet any second now he's going to be sprinting towards the bathroom. I'm just, I'm just, just know what's going to happen. And I kid you not, about 60 seconds later, he is sprinting to the bathroom and he lets, lets it all go. And so it, it continues on, things simmer down. But at this point, like I've been thinking about someone else throwing up, and um, now, uh, and I've been up for like 40 hours, and it's just, I'm just over it, and I've eaten too much food because like international flights, they just keep shoving it in your face, and just like no, no more food, and um, and I didn't say no because I was, I don't know why, but um, I just thought more food, like some turkey, then I'll sleep, and it didn't happen, and. Um, so everybody, we land uh, comfortably, and um, everyone begins to exit the plane. I'm just sitting there, and I've got that, I've got that, I'm about to vom look on my face. You know, you're just like, I've got that look on my face, and, and the stewardess comes over, flight attendant, and, and she's like, sir, are you okay? And I'm, I just go, I, I will be, I will be. 
and everyone exits the plane, and I calmly grab my barf bag and just let it go. I mean, I let it go like Princess Elsa let it go. I mean, I was just like, let it go, and I felt so much better. I felt so much better after that happened, but it's funny how that all transpired, because I really don't get sick, and I think many times in our relationships, we're, we're just exhausted. We're just exhausted in trying to keep every relationship in harmony and keep every relationship kind of going, and we're just kind of burnt out, and maybe you even try to be like I was in this situation, and we try to be strategic, and I'm going to be smart about it, and still, we come in maybe at a good place, and then we find ourselves so affected by the relational stuff around us, and sometimes we push that away, um, but just like it happens in a, in a plane, I, I forget, there's like a psychological thing that when one person throws up, like there's a trigger, and the same thing in your house, when one person gets sick, it's not long before the next person gets sick, and it just kind of goes out there, and so I think some of our relationships are, are, are like that, like th- there's this kind of pattern of a, uh, some unhealthy leads to other elth- unhealthy attitudes, and there's just this chain of uh, effect, and and while we're, we're there to bear with one another in that struggle, I believe that God calls us to a Christ-like attitude and a mindset. Another story, plane-related, but it's a different story. A guy was on a plane that was experiencing a lot of turbulence, and um, they, they, the pilot landed beautifully, and afterwards, a gentleman came up, and he asked him, he said, how can you land this giant plane I think it was actually a small plane. How can you land this small little plane in the midst of all this wind and all this storm that was going, how do you do that? And the pilot said to him, you have to have the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. You have to have the right attitude. In in, uh, aeronautical terms, an attitude is actually being parallel, all three axes being parallel to the ground. And that makes sense to us. That's called the attitude. And so the attitude has to be right, and, and I just thought that spoke volumes to really what I feel like God's called me to teach on and share this morning. So we've got to have the right attitude, because somebody's going to be puking next to us, and we're in a world that, man, I feel like if we're not careful, the church is getting overwhelmed a little bit, and we started out good, but man, we're just kind of taking in all of the sickness around us and the anxiety around us. And that's not the attitude that God's called us to. We're taking in the, the lack of health in our own lives because we see that around us. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Um, and, and it kind of saddens me because many times I feel like Christians and those that follow Christ, like we're, sometimes we're, the, like we're so weak in, God, in, in the midst of this stuff, stuff. We're so weak-stomached, and maybe it's because we haven't gone through as, as many fights as we need to, and we just sit very comfortably in the United States. And, um, but God has called us to power and to walk in his power, and, and not natural power, but supernatural power that despite the conditions around us, we can walk faithfully and not lose our focus um, on, on what's most important and lose our focus on God. And so we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 in just a minute, but before we do, I want to talk about four unhealthy attitudes, and then I'm going to come back into these as we talk through the scriptures and talk about a Christ-like attitude. I think there's four unhealthy relational attitudes, and if I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, like, I've had all four of these. I've lived and done all four of these that we're going to talk about in just a second. Every single one of them, I have done them at some point. And I know, probably without a shadow of a doubt, at some point in your journey, maybe right now, 
you have one of these unhealthy attitudes. And I pray, like I had my moment after the plane moved out, I pray that today you're going to have some moment where you just kind of let some of those unhealthy attitudes go. Some of the stuff you've been storing up is it, it, just going to be, you know, uh, evacuated uh, from your spirit. And so first, the first two are really, if you asked, ask a therapist or a psychologist uh, or any kind of marriage and family counselor, these will be the first two unhealthy things they say about relationships, just across the board. And the, the first one is criticism and contempt. Contempt is a really, really big term, but criticism kind of defines what it is in many ways because it's this consistent pattern, this consistent attitude, this consistent mindset where I'm nitpicking and criticizing others. And it's a pattern that goes on and on. And in fact, you can probably hear yourself saying it as I'm saying that, or you can hear a spouse saying it as you've talked in the car, or you've seen that. And contempt is not just the vocal expression, it's the nonverbal expression of that. And this is, it's a deep heart issue that God had to set me free of. He really did. And so like, I can tell testimonies on walking through every single one of these as I realize this is an unhealthy attitude and I feel in bondage to it because I can't walk in the Christ-like attitude that he calls me to. Uh, contempt is a, a powerful, powerful emotion that tears down and rips apart our relationships. Many times when I'm talking in like marital relationships, I often use the illustration or the analogy of a scoreboard. And you do this maybe with your sister, you do this with your brother, you do this with a coworker, and you've got this scoreboard, and you never tell anyone who scored and who didn't, but it's in your head. And usually when I talk about this, people start smiling, and they know, yep, I do that. <laughs> because we're constantly keeping score in our heads of, of who did what chores and, and what chores they didn't do today, or who, who's paying what bills and who's not if you're in a roommate situation. And we're constantly keeping score of, of what we've done, and it's such an unhealthy thing because it moves from the place of, of keeping score, and really it's, it's, it's a critical attitude, a critical mindset where we're constantly looking at the negative and not the good. And things start little, but then they expand. Maybe you've gone through a little time where, man, you had to be have kind of some hard conversations, and then it moved into a place of now you're always nitpicking, and we'll talk about how to combat this. But we've got to recognize the good, and I believe that God's going to lead us into to some, some freedom on that as well. Contempt is one of those things that um, we often think is only like comments or thoughts we have. We think that no one hears them, but they see them, right? It wasn't the comment. It was the eye roll that went with the comment, that's contempt. Like there's, there's something there, and so when you're offended by something, you're like, wait a second, let's... Slow down, like what was that about? And, and I'll tell you, in my own marriage, uh, and this is, I'm, I'm guilty of this, probably uh, more than I'd like to admit. Uh, you can ask my wife and, and she'll tell you. I won't, I won't say what I'm feeling sometimes. I'll just, like I'll ask her a question and then I'll just exhale super deep. And she goes, what? I'm like, I didn't say anything. Oh yeah, I did. I said plenty. I said all she needed to know that whatever it was, I was not pleased with the timing or the way that was done. That's what I'm communicating, and that's, con that's contempt. Like, I'm being critical, and, and it's one of the markers that therapists look for to destroy marriages, okay? So if you're in that situation, it'll destroy your work relationship. It'll destroy your relationship with your parents, your siblings, and so find it, and, like, God's going to give us some freedom there. We're going to let that go, okay? 
Second one that, that therapists will tell you is stonewalling. Stonewalling. I've been guilty of this one too. Like I just tell you stories. And maybe stonewalling is probably best described by the actual phrases that come out of our mouths. And you'll probably recognize these Stonewallers don't communicate, they don't cooperate. Stonewallers might say, just leave me alone. Or, uh, just do whatever you want. End of conversation. Stop talking, right? You get into an argument, and there's some of these phrases that start coming out. Get out of my face, like, that's enough. And what we don't realize, while there's a place for some of those phrases, and we can take that out of context, many times, what we're saying is, I don't want to communicate I don't want to work on it. I don't want to talk about it. What we do is we put this wall up, and I refuse to cooperate, and I refuse to communicate. And this, with 90% accuracy, will predict divorce, psychologists say, and and sociologists say, that they can actually see a snapshot into marriage, and and if they see this going on as a continued pattern over time, then that's where often it leads. And so if you're in that um, if you feel like that's in your relationships right now with your boss, with your spouse, with your pastor, with a leader in your life, then I just want to tell you, like, look at it and remove it because I don't want you to fall into the 90%. I believe in Jesus' name that you're not going to be a part of the 90%, okay? Because I've walked in that. I've had moments where I've just, I don't want to deal with it. Like, I've got too much going on, uh, and I kind of refuse to deal with it. And so this is most often seen in men. It's most, it happens in women, and I just want to tell like women, just speaking specifically to you, if you're stonewalling, and maybe you're not stonewalling with a spouse, but maybe with a sibling, or um, a, a father figure, or whatever in your life, when you're stonewalling, you are frustrating the mess out of the male figure that, you, that you're stonewalling. You're, you're frustrating them, because they are leaning in and trying to help. And for men that are stonewalling, you're not just frustrating the lady. You're not just frustrating the spouse, the the boyfriend, the girlfriend, whatever it is. You're not just frustrating them. You're hurting them, and you're humiliating them, and you're isolating them. You're isolating them when we refuse to to let in. And so I just want to challenge you. Like, sometimes you've just got to step out and just kind of see the impact of it, and then lean back in and be like, hey, I I, got to let you in. I believe that the scriptures are going to lead us into that. And so I know you've probably heard yourself say, uh, do whatever you want, just leave me alone at some point uh, when things get heated. And so I don't want you to be afraid of communicating because many times it's the fear of the failure to communicate. Fear that if I say the wrong thing or if I say it in the wrong way, then it won't be received. And so there's a lot of fear going on there that I think God will speak into. Last two, and then let's dive into the scripture. I'm hungry to get there. The last two, victim, a victim attitude, a victim mentality. And uh, I've lived this one, and I feel like I see this in family members, not my immediate family, but outside. Sometimes I'll see it in my kids, and, and, or I'll see it outside of that, other family members. I see it in the church, too. Like, church folks talk a lot about luck. And they talk about, well, we just don't have that kind of luck, and, and things aren't just going for us like that. Or, like, or you get in an accident, and you'll see a post uh, through social media. It's like, well, it figures it would happen to me. What we're really saying there is it's a, we've got a victim mentality. Something has happened along the way, and now everything that happens that doesn't exactly go our way, it's like the world's against us. It's like God's out to get us. And, and with all attitudes, it comes from an improper perspective of God's love and care and concern for you. 
And so this victim mentality, we've got to stop. And I hear just as much as the luck stuff as I hear it's all karma. Like something bad happens to somebody, well, karma, like they, they deserved it. I'm telling you, Christians, like you, be, you better stop it with that because you don't, you don't live under a karma system. You don't live under a karma theology. You live under a gospel theology, which means you don't get what you deserve, which we all deserve hell Okay? And so you don't want to live in the karma stuff. So if that's been in your mouth, this luck stuff, let's stop it with the victim mentality. You're not a victim. You're more than a conqueror. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're an heir of the king of heaven, the creator that put the stars in place. Like, you're an heir. Stop it with the victim stuff. Like, it just, it changes everything. The last one. The other side of that is a savior's mentality a savior attitude. This has been the last one to come out of me. This has been the last one to come out of me because of my deep love and compassion for you. My deep calling to shepherd and teach and pastor and lead. Out of that deep place of love, many times the devil will take our future and compromise it by turning our calling into a curse in our eyes when it's not. Our calling to love, to, to disciple, to teach, to comfort, to come alongside one another and sharpen one another. But what happens to bear one another's burdens, but after a while, here's what you need to, to kind of look. Here's your filter. is after you're in a situation in which you're leaning in and trying to help, whether it's a spouse in a low time, whether it's a coworker, or a sibling that's kind of been down and out, and you're in a place of encouragement, and we're leaning in, what is your posture when you're walking away from that conversation? That's been the most clear thing for me. If my posture is just so heavy, I am carrying that which Jesus has already paid for. When, when I bear burdens, I, I feel and I express, and like that is godly, to rejoice with one another and mourn with one another. But there is joy in the mourning. Like we don't lose that aspect of it. And what happens, it's okay. Like if it rests that day and you're just processing that, it takes time to process. And, and the more unhealthy we are, the longer it takes to process something. Think about that on a sickness level. The more tired we are, the more unhealthy we are, the longer it takes for our body to fight that. Does that make sense? It's the longer, but the more healthy you are, the better shape you're in, you can hop back from sickness most of the time pretty well. And so if it's taking you a long time to hop back after a conversation that you had with somebody, as I've matured in the Lord, I've realized that time gets shorter and shorter because I practice laying it at the Lord's feet very quickly because I know I was not meant to. Even Jesus Christ himself did not come with a savior's mentality. He came with a servant's mentality. It's different. It's different. We'll talk more about that. Let's go to the scriptures. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to spend our time. It'll be on the screen uh, for you as, as well. Um, I believe this is out of the New uh, Living Translation. Is there any encouragement, or if there be any encouragement from belonging to Christ, the encouragement word is the word parakleasis, which is spiritual comfort of being united to Christ. This translation says belonging to Christ. If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? He's still asking one big question there. Then make me truly happy. He says, make my joy complete. 
by agreeing wholeheartedly, by being united, by being one in spirit, wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, agape love to one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose, one spirit and one mind. Let's just stop right there, and I just want to give you three kind of attributes, I believe, of a Christ-like attitude, of a Christ-like attitude. And the first one is revealed right here in these first two verses, and it's, of, it's loving union. It's loving union. We hear Jesus pray to the Father two times in Scripture. One of those times, on our behalf, on our behalf. One of those times when he's praying about us is in the, the, the Gospel of John, and he says, God, my prayer, Father, my prayer is that they would be one as you and I are one. It's a prayer of loving union. And it's not just of a marital relationship, which we exalt and raise to the the highest level when it comes to relational love. But he's speaking on a brother and sister love. In Ephesians chapter 5, when uh, the Apostle Paul is pouring out on marriage, he does it in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ and how we love one another and how we respect one another. So any kind of union we have, any kind of unity, any kind of one-mindedness in our homes, in our businesses, and right here in this very room, if that oneness happens out of loving union with God. The New Testament gives us several words in the Greek for the word love. Like when we talk about love in English, I love pizza and I also love my wife. Same, same word, but I mean very different things, right? In the Greek language, there's actually four different words. I want to talk about three of them. The first one is phileo love. Phil-eo is how that's transliterated. Phileo. Phileo. It's a friendship type of love. You might have heard of it. Uh, particularly in, in Jesus' encounter with Peter, do you love me? He says, do you phileo me? And the second um, one is eros love, which is another Greek term we see, which is an erotic, romantic type of love, a sexual type of love. And so that's the second one we see. And the third one is agape love, agape love. And that is the, the love of the Father that comes down, unconditional love where he loves us so deeply that we can't fathom that. And let me just tell you, like if, if you love, if you have received phileo love and like that's the depth of what you've received, you will give phileo love. You will understand friendship love. It's good, it has its place it's not as deep as agape love. It's, it's shallow, even to say that. If you have experienced eros love and you've been obsessed or addicted to some kind of eros love, you will indeed try to love others through that. You'll, you'll skip over boundary lines that God put there for a purpose in order to fulfill this eros love that there's this vacancy there. And the third one, agape love. When you have received agape love, you can freely give Agape love, and it's out of that relationship with God, it's out of that oneness and that union we have with the Father that we're able to love one another. And Paul's prayer for us and for our relationships is that that union would take place right here in this very room. And if we wonder like why we're, we're, uh, we've got a victim mentality, I think if, if we've received agape love, we don't have a victim's attitude anymore. We don't have a victim's mindset anymore. Right? Because we've received any other affirmation I get from anybody else. Because many times what's happening is we're trying to, to fill voids. 
you know, we're trying to fill voids uh, within our life, and agape love fills those voids. Uh, when I receive this, this, this love, I'm, I'm no longer um, a victim. I, I see myself as love, as beloved son and daughter, and out of that outflow, I'm able to, to love. And it's in that place when a husband and a wife, when co-workers, when ministry partners in this room together, when we, out of the place of genuine love with the Father, we can love one another and be on the same page. Many times we, we start with the communication stuff and all the practicals, but if we get the heart stuff, if we receive the agape love of God, we can give that. And, and the attitude and the mindset that Christ is calling us to is one that is birthed out of love. It's out of love. If we don't get that first, um, we'll, we'll be, um, we'll be uh, poorer because of it. See, the victim's mentality, the victim's mentality is actually isolating us from people that God is loving us through. The victim's mentality will, will actually isolate us from people that God is loving us through because we feel isolated and people are trying to reach out and then all we see is victim, like they're actually looking down on me and we see all this other stuff uh, and the enemy uses that. It's very hard to, to continue in a pattern of stonewalling when we're in loving union with God because I realize that that unity with God is perfected and refined through my relationships with one another. And if, if I'm not leaning in with those that are around me, chances are I'm probably stonewalling God in some ways too. The second thing, verses three through five, let's read this. Don't be selfish. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, as the NIV says. Don't, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude or mindset that Christ Jesus had. The, the word here in, in the Greek means to think or to understand or to feel, and very specifically, to direct one's mind toward. Think about that, about an attitude and what a mindset is. It's, it's what you direct your mind to on a daily basis. The scriptures tell us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And many times we filter out our, our decisions in life through prayer. Should we put our kids in public school, private school, or homeschool? We filter that decision. Should we, um, should we move or should we stay? Should I take this job? It's going to change some dy- dynamics. Or should we not? We filter all our decisions, but many times we're not filtering our feelings and our thoughts on a daily basis. And the scriptures point us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And that is so important when it comes to our attitude because we feel a lot of things. I don't have this exact statistic but the amount of feelings and emotions and thoughts we have on a daily basis are too high for us to comprehend. And if we're not filtering those, there is all this junk that is directing our mind. If we're not taking every thought um, captive, we are being led astray on a daily basis and we're allowing it to happen. And so filter it all through. Filter every feeling, every thought, every eye roll that you catch yourself like, well, what was that about? I need to step back. I need to look at that. I believe that God, the, the kind, of, kind of phrase, the line here that I feel like God is speaking to me through this is that a Christ-like attitude, a Christ-like mindset is a humble servant. Humble servant. And 
And I think he, he, he leads right in here that he, he says, look at others, value others better than yourselves. I think we believe that respect is just something to be had. And something God had to teach me years back is that I don't really respect people like I would say I do. I'm actually way more critical than what I want to be honest about. I don't actually value others better than myself because I think my comment is stronger than theirs. Because I think my skills are a little better than theirs in this area. I don't value people. I don't, I don't love. And if I can't value them, I can't love them and fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love God. And what's the second one that's like it? To love my I can't, I can't do. I can't do that second one if I'm, if I'm missing it. He said, in the second is like it. Everything else hangs on these two. God had to teach me this. And, and what he taught me was so deep is that the reason I was critical of them the reason I didn't value them, the reason I didn't respect them, because I didn't really respect me. I didn't value me. I was critical of me. But that all changed when I realized how he sees me. When I saw how he sees me, that just broke a lot of chains off. And I didn't have to look at them like that because I wasn't looking at me like that anymore. I, I, I didn't feel inferior anymore because I knew who I was in Christ. I knew that I wasn't a slave anymore. And so it doesn't bother me to, to wash feet and it doesn't bo- bother me to take out the trash because my posture, it, even when I, I lower myself, God raises me up. That is his paradigm of how it works. We've got to be careful, though, if we get the servant part but we don't get the humble part. If we get the servant part and we leave the humble part behind, the, the savior mindset will come in. I'm here to serve, brother, whatever I can do. Like we're just leaning in and we're trying to help and we're trying to help and we forget this humility. The disciples argued about this to a certain extent and said, hey, hey, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus said, whoever's going to lower themselves to the least, who's ever going to be the greatest servant. And so it's valuing others and letting that be expressed in the deepest recesses of our heart. And truly loving the people around us and then living that out in our actions. About 15 years ago, I was in a band and a worship band, and we went to some of you are familiar with the passion movement. Louis Giglio has spearheaded, and it's all over the world, mainly for students and singles. It's been phenomenal what God's doing through them. I started following that very early before, really, around their first record that they ever put out. And I, I traveled up there with this band that I was a part of, and we went to something called uh, 722, which was their singles outreach ministry before like, there was all the conferences and all the albums and stuff. So I remember going there with this team, and we sat, and it was summer, and like, everything was stripped back. Like, you expect this big band at this big church, and it was just an acoustic guitar and a cajon, which is like the little box that you slap on. And, and I think it was Matt Redman that was leading that, that weekend. And he sang this song that forever stuck with me. 15 years later, I've only heard the song on a record once, and it stuck with me. You ever have a lyric like that that just resonates so deeply with who we are called to be and what God is speaking to us? And it was, um, I lift you high and bow down low. How high can you be? 
How low can I go? I lift you high and bow down low. How high can you be? How low can I go? It was a simple chorus. That was pretty much all the song said. There was a verse I don't ever remember, but I remembered that chorus. <laughs> and it stuck with me here 15 years later. How low can I lower myself? Because the scripture will go on that Christ, that God raises us up, just like he raised Jesus up to such a place of confidence. So my challenge to you is how low can you go this week that Christ might be lifted up, that God might receive glory out of washing feet, that he might receive glory out of taking the trash out with a smile on and not out of bitterness or resentment or any contempt coming out, but out of genuineness of heart and serving as if we were serving the Lord can't be critical when I value others above myself. Look at 1 Peter 5.5, 5, and then we'll, we'll begin to wrap up here. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Some translations say favor to the humble, but the word is charis, it's grace is the proper, in my opinion. Hum, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Get dressed every morning, we think about what we wear. The thing with humility is, is we think we are humble when we are by ourselves. And when we are not, and we are forced to live out humility in our relationships and value and serve and look to others' interest, we realize we're not as humble as often we believe that we are, but God will raise us up. He will raise us up. So I just, I, I want to see that in your life. I, I want to see God raise you up in his kingdom, in this life, and on the other side of it. And so my prayer for you is to just see how low we can go this week, that he would be lifted up, and in due time, we too would be lifted up. Let's finish the text here. Verse 6 through 11. Though he was God, um, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, of God the Father. I think many times when we look at our lives, we think that they're rather full, like when we first come to Christ. Like we think that Pretty full. Things aren't too bad. And this looks like sweet tea, but it's unsweet. It's, it's more bitter than what you realize. I hate, sweet, I hate unsweet tea. Sorry. Sorry if you love it. You may, you may love it. It may not be bitter to you. It's very bitter to me, so it's a good ex- illustration for me. Um, it looks great on the outside. It looks delicious on a hot day when we're struggling. feel like things aren't too bad. Or maybe when we look at somebody else's cup, we're like, that one's not as good as mine. And we look at it, we think that things are pretty full, but it doesn't take long that we're walking with the Lord and we find ourselves saying what Naomi said. I walked away full, but I came back empty. 
She said, you might as well call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, because I started out with all of my stuff in place. I thought life was pretty grand. I, I thought I, just a little bit of Jesus here would kind of help me. I thought it would help me. And it waters down the bitterness. It waters down the critical spirit. It waters down the resentment. It waters down everything. And I think that's most time what our understanding about God's plan for our life is. And so when troubles hit, we can't celebrate and give joy. Because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. We, we can't quite grasp the maturity that it takes to pray that and understand that when we're in the midst of a struggle. Because we just feel like, man, I used to have a little more fun than this. I feel like it's just watering down what this used to taste like. But what God really wants to do is to empty us like he emptied Christ. And that we won't know purity and we won't know fullness until we have been emptied. And you may be looking at your life right now and thinking that it's just fine. Or you may be looking at your life right now and all you've got is an empty glass. And like, I'm empty. Like, I, I walked away full. And, and you may be just thinking to yourself, man, like, what is this about, God? Why did you lead me to this point? And just some anger and just frustration that we see in the Psalms and just some honesty. Like, why? Why are you leading me here? And you feel like I'm so far from where God wants me to be. But you are just on the precipice of being filled up. God's calling to us is not one of fullness in the world's eye or even fullness in our eyes. It's one that we would, the, the Greek word is, is kanao, which is K-E-N-O-O. And it literally means, it doesn't mean make himself nothing. It means to empty. Jesus Christ emptied himself. He emptied himself for us every single drop. I mean, can you just think about him hanging on the cross and like every blood that poured out and they stabbed aside in water and blood just coming from his pores. And my prayer for you today is that you wouldn't look at the, the glass half empty or half full, but just get to a place of like, God, I just want to be emptied like you've been emptied. I just want to be used for your glory, God, that I may be, I, people can see through me and they can see you. I don't know what your glass looks like and I don't know like what's hiding down beneath here or how you're feeling about it. But I know there's probably some bitterness. There's probably a victim's mentality. There's probably a savior's mentality. There's probably something like that hiding in there. And, and when, it, when God starts wanting to pour it out, I know that just like starts, it starts to hurt and you feel like you're losing everything. But Jesus said anybody that wants to save his soul must lose it. And so I'm just calling you to a place of just hunger and desire and say, God, whatever it looks like, whatever it takes, I want to be empty so that I can understand fullness, so that I can understand purity, so I can understand righteousness, so I can understand abundance. Get this bitter attitude, get this bitter mindset. God, direct my thoughts and attentions towards your goodness and how you see me. I want you to stand all across this room. God, I thank you for your word today that is rich, and that is vibrant. God, you didn't just call us to, to make some attitude adjustments that might help our relationships a little bit. You've called us to be emptied and to be gloriously filled. All across this house, if you feel comfortable, maybe just open your hands this morning like this or bow your hearts or whatever it looks like for you and just say, God, just... I just want to be filled this morning. 
I need to be encouraged in you today. God, I need to see me like you see me so that I can love them like you love them. God, I pray that as we reflect on this, your Holy Spirit would direct us and break the chains, God. They would, there would be something that was let go in this house today. That we walk out and there's a shift, God, because we weren't fearful of losing, God. We were excited about what we will gain when we lower ourselves for your glory.